Now, today, we're going to focus on corporate prayer, which is about the church gathering for prayer. Prayer meetings like that. And we'll tell you about different places you can gather with the church here to pray. But if you are the saints of old, and, and there's not too many in this room who qualify for that, so there's a few. But if you were the saints of old, you will remember a day in which church was done differently than it is today. Years ago, there was this thing called the prayer meeting. Churches actually had it as a part of their schedule. There were regular times and meetings where the church gathered for prayer. It was a unique setting where prayer took place. It wasn't emphasizing teaching. Maybe the band wasn't fully there, but it was a time to meet with God. And, And probably in the last 40 years, that meeting has disappeared from the church world. It's rare to find churches that have significant prayer meetings. And they might could fill a room like this on a Sunday morning, but they can't put many people in a prayer meeting, right? So I want that to be real to you against the backdrop of what we are looking at. So I'm going to read two pretty lengthy thoughts here. One is from Christianity Today. Let me start with Ben Patterson's thought. Both of these are asking the question, whatever happened to the prayer meeting? Listen to this thought. East Indian evangelist K.P. Yohanan says he will never forget one of his first prayer meetings in an American church. He had come to the United States eager to meet some of its spiritual giants and leaders. One man in particular held his interest, a preacher known even in India for his powerful sermons and uncompromising commitment to the truth. More than 3,000 people attended services on the Sunday Yohanan visited his church. The choirs were outstanding. The preaching was everything he hoped it would be. But he was especially taken by an announcement the pastor made about the midweek prayer meeting. He said there were some things lying heavy on his heart. Would the people come and pray about them? Then he announced the name of a certain chapel on the church campus. Excited, Johannan determined he would attend. When he arrived later that week, he brought with him some definite assumptions. The most basic was that prayer meetings are essential, of primary importance. In India and in many other parts of the world where Christians are persecuted, the prayer meeting is the centerpiece of the church's life. Everyone comes. The meeting often lasts long in the night. And it's not unusual for believers to arise daily before sunup to pray together for the work of the church. Fearing the huge crowd, he came early to get a seat. But when he arrived, he was surprised to discover a chapel with a capacity of only 500 That was empty. A few people eventually came in, but there was no leader, no songs or worship, just chit-chat about news, weather, and sports. 45 minutes later, an elderly man, the leader but not the pastor, walked into the chapel to offer a few devotional thoughts from the Bible and give a brief prayer. The meeting was over. And as the seven attendees filed out of the chapel, Johannan sat in stunned silence. His mind filled with with questions. Was this it? Weren't they going to stay and wait upon God? Where was the worship, the tears, the cries for guidance and direction? Where was the list of the sick and the poor and those in need? What about that burden the pastor said was heavy on his heart? Weren't we going to intercede for a miracle? And where was the pastor? That meeting became a paradigm for his experience of prayer meetings in America. In all his travels here, Johannan saw 
The same pattern repeated in hundreds of midweek meetings. Almost anything happens but prayer. There are announcements, singing, homilies, but few prayers. And that's in the churches that actually have prayer meetings in their schedules. Many more make no pretense. Church leaders who think nothing of spending days planning programs or of spending thousands of dollars to hire consultants to help them do it, blanch at the thought of spending even one whole night to wait on the Lord to show them what to do. If it is true that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, then we must pray. Mustn't we? Can there be any other way to reach a lost world? Do we really think our plans and programs can bring down strongholds of spiritual evil in the heavenly realms? All right, one other very sobering word comes from Jim Cimbala, who's a pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And I've mentioned Jim before, and he's got quite a vision for prayer. His church would be an anomaly. His prayer meetings would look like his Sunday morning gathering. Uh, we, my boys and I went to New York uh, last summer or last year sometime, and in visiting his church on a Tuesday night, uh, it's an old converted Broadway theater, uh, place was full. Floor, balcony, with people who had come on Tuesday night to pray. It's a prayer meeting. I mean, it was a serious prayer meeting. These people know how to pray, man. The lady we were sitting next to, I just kind of struck up a conversation with her found out where she was from. She takes a train from the Bronx. Now, you know, Brooklyn to the Bronx is a long way. The Bronx are on the north side of Manhattan. Brooklyn's on the south side of Manhattan. It takes her over an hour to get there by train. So she'd go to work in Manhattan. She'd go to Brooklyn for the prayer meeting, and she'd take an hour train ride all the way home. This is the fellow who's writing this question about whatever happened to the prayer meeting. He says, recently I was discussing the need of our churches to return to simple prayer with the leading pastor of a large church in an area of the country where super churches abound. He told me that in his entire area, the prayer meeting had become virtually extinct and mere lip service was being paid to the power of prayer. This was a painfully accurate picture, even among churches, which were models of success in their denomination because of their large memberships and busy programs. He honestly confessed that time was made for visiting speakers who will help mature us, gospel concerts, youth nights, fellowship nights, etc. But no prominent place at all given to the church collectively could seek God with all their hearts. He very perceptively and yet ashamedly pointed out that he knew the main reason why most churches, including his own, did not schedule and advertise a true prayer meeting. Why? Because it would never draw the people and the turnout would be pitiful. How would those embarrassed pastors explain their large auditoriums being mostly empty on prayer meeting night as a handful of hungry people waited on God? When the very night before many hundreds had attended a gospel concert or heard a famous Christian speaker. Imagine this if you can. God cannot draw crowds by himself. (laughs) 
There was just got to be talk, entertainment, or human activity of some kind, or else the church folks usually just are not interested. Many other respected men, many other respected men I know confirm this sad truth. Churches desire teaching about God, music about God, correct doctrines about God, but prolonged spiritual contact and fellowship with the real living God of the universe is not popular in Christ's own church. <clears throat> Ministry that does not lead us to Christ directly in new depths of prayer and heart revelations of the Lord is not only a failure, but extremely dangerous. Multitudes will travel distances or even pay money to hear Christian ministries, yet not cross the street to wait a few hours in the presence of one who is supposedly the answer to all our needs. That is woefully painful to read because it is woefully true. So I guess we, we need to conclude is, is prayer a must or a maybe in the kingdom of God? Is prayer something that must take place for all that God intends to occur among his people or is it a maybe? We, we don't necessarily really need to do that. There's a few people that take that really seriously and somehow whatever they do is sufficient. Or is corporate prayer and personal prayer a must for the sake of the kingdom of God? And you know, I don't want to go back and preach earlier messages, but, but there is a dimension that if all I do is publicly interact with God's material, there's a dimension to me. I will become, more than likely, I will become a fake and a phony. Because as I've said earlier, there's something about being stripped naked in the presence of God alone in prayer that lets all the pretenses come off and you stop putting on something so that the people that you interact with can have an opinion about you. Which all of us have to sort through those issues. But when you're personal and it's just you and God, finally, all the show is over. Hopefully nobody thinks that they're pulling something over on God. When you're with God by yourself, you are you. And he is him. And he reveals himself to us in ways that nothing else can touch. If you and I are living lives without personal engagement of God, I just guarantee we're just weird Christians I don't, and you got your own flavor of weirdness and I'll have mine, but we're just weird. We need that kind of interaction with God. And then we need together to get underneath the burdens of things that matter in the kingdom of God and pray about them. Now, it's not just our modern settings that struggle to get this prayer thing right, right? Do you remember Jesus going into the temple one day and knocking everything over and being pretty angry? And it doesn't suit hippie Jesus who just is fine with everything in his own way. But that's what he did, right? Matthew 21, verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer you make it a den of robbers 
Now, I have held this opinion for some time now, and I'm going to show you why from venturing into the prayer closet of King Solomon. What was Jesus mad about in this moment? You got two things crawled onto the table. You've got the house of prayer comment and you've got the den of robbers comment. And then they're kind of combined. It's very easy to draw our attention to people were getting ripped off by other people. Right? So we kind of get this. And quite honestly, this is where the human heart wants to run. Jesus was mad about other people ripping off other people. And I'm sure he was not pleased with that at all. But what you're about to see as we venture through King Solomon's life is the first thing that was noticed was God had created a place of prayer upon the earth for men and had given it to men as a gift. And when Jesus walked into that place, he couldn't find prayer in that place. He found people ripping each other off instead. So I'm not sure he's not more angry about human beings who blow off prayer when the God of the universe has opened heaven to them and he's more upset because human beings steal from each other I think the house of prayer thing wins in my opinion All right. well we've been learning from heroes of the prayer closet our hero today is going to be King Solomon turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 going to meet King Solomon early in his career as a king and learn something of what formed in this man a model, a burden, an awareness for corporate prayer that gets modeled perhaps better than anybody else models it in the scriptures. So he's going to be our help in pursuing an understanding of corporate prayer. But just let's tune into his personal awareness. Solomon, what were you personally aware of that helped guide you into the way the corporate prayer dimensions of Israel took place. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what I shall give you. How's that for an invitation? This sounds like one of those guys who found the lamp, you know, and rubbed it and out came out. Make a wish. Whatever you'd like. And that's what God kind of offers him here, which is very insightful If that's your invitation, that Solomon goes where he goes in this moment. Very helpful here. Verse 6. Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son. To sit on his throne this day. Now, oh Lord my God, you, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I, I'm but a child. I don't know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people. Whom you have chosen a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this and father help us help us today escape the orbit 
that was created by the ideas, the pace, the world that we live in, but not, not inspired like these words. Or there are things in our lives that don't come off the pages of inspired Holy Scripture. They're just there. They're negotiable. They can go. They don't need to stay. But these things are not negotiables. They must find a place to park. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here, here's, here's three things I just want to identify real quickly because we're going to move on from Solomon personally. But there's three things in Solomon that, that when God just throws out this opportunity, ask whatever you will, these are the three things that form the thinking that's in Solomon's mind, right? He has a God awareness, he has a self awareness, and he has a life awareness in this moment. This is why he's going to form his life and ask what he asks the way he does. This is why you're going to see him build what he builds and dedicate it the way he does, right? He has a God awareness, right? Ask whatever you will. Where does he start? He immediately thinks, what what did God give to my father? I want to make sure I have. What, what is it about God that is absolutely essential that I need in my life? Your covenant love, God. I need your covenant love, your loving kindness. Lord, my father lived under the shadow of your loving kindness, the nearness, the actions, the motivation that comes from knowing what motivates you toward me is your covenant love. He was aware of that. He's going to build a life that's going to put him in touch with that. And then the next thing that comes out of his mouth is self-awareness. He was aware of some things about himself. Real paraphrase version. God, I'm king, but I got no idea what I'm doing. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm but a child. I don't know how to come in and go out. I, I, this is too big. I, I can't do this, God. So the next thing, if you're going to build, this is good reasons to build prayer closets. I can't do this is a reason that I need prayer, right? If Solomon's got this, he's educated, he's wealthy, he's got this, right? He doesn't need a prayer closet then. But when you realize there are things in God like his covenant love and there is lack in me, you've got reasons now to climb into your prayer closet and to have a prayer closet and to have a means of exchange between heaven and earth. And then the last thing he brings up is just life itself. God, the the people that you've given me, there's there's too many of them. Uh, The complexity, I mean, it's leading a nation. There's going to be plagues that come to gatherings of people. There's uprisings. There's rebellions. There's enemies. Life takes turns. God, life is too complicated. Listen, if you want to have a reason to have a prayer closet, it's just stare into the future of your life. What, What do you think is coming? Is there anybody in the room who thinks your life is going to get simpler? You just get past this week, right? Have you ever lived this way? I just get past this month. I don't know how many times I'm always having this conversation with my wife. Once we get past, once we, and she long ago learned, it'll just be something else, Keith. It'll just be the next thing. And sure enough, it is, right? 
All right, so here's, here's what inspires Solomon to build a prayer closet, to build a prayer life. And, and this is what should inspire us. This is a lesson for any and every person who feels any sense of responsibility for others. Any and every person who's aware that there's a calling on your life to do and accomplish certain things. Right, if you're going nowhere, there's no urgency for any of this stuff, right? If you're not building anything with your life, if you're just here coasting until Jesus comes back. But if you're here actually doing something, you're going to actually step out in ministry. You're going to involve yourself with people. You're going to do things that are going to take faith and require something from you. The moment you start to do that, these three things come to life. There are things in God that I've got to have. I need to know this God is for me. I can't live that kind of life without knowing that. I'm going to need to get around God in such a way that I am sure God is for me. He's not against me. That's what that word covenant love means. That loving kindness of God. It's God telling his people, I have a love for you like I've got for nobody else. And I give it to you for reasons that you don't create it. I need to get around God for that. So I can hear that. I can taste it. I need to face the reality. I can't do this. Does your, I mean, does your life convince you of that? Are there things in your life that you've done enough to know I, I can't do this? Or have you read enough management books and executive management books and technique books and sales books and scheduling and time management books that you have figured out, no, you can, you can do this. You can do this. To everybody here who feels like you can do it, I can, I can guarantee you this. You haven't been in your prayer closet because almost always what God does is he calls you to do more than you're capable of doing. And he involves you with people who are more complicated than you are. And their problems outnumber the amount of time and the amount of answers that you have. And then your life goes in a certain direction and you have needs that you got no answers for. You know, when you start scooping up life and you're going, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. That'll drive you to God, won't it? And that's what he does. He just looks, he says, God, who am I to do this? I can't do this. And if you haven't felt that way about your marriage, about your parenting, about your calling, about your career, you're just not looking at it right. I know that's scary. I know nobody likes to feel that way. I'd like to feel like, hey, I got this. I got this. You know, life starts to happen. I got this. I always regularly feel like, I ain't got this. This is not, and of course, then I got to battle unbelief and fear and doubt, etc. Because I think this is not going to be a good day. This is not going to be good. And then life is going to be complicated. And these things do something to Solomon that creates a prayer closet. But, but he's going to translate this prayer need into a corporate dimension. Right? He's going to create a corporate prayer situation. So, all right, so turn over to chapter 7. We're going to fast forward at least seven years. At least seven years. Maybe a little bit more than that because between his encounter with God at Gibeon and, and then he's going to set out to build the temple. Right? So Solomon has received the unique calling of God that he's going to build a temple. Remember, we studied the tabernacle in Exodus. It is that unique place of the dwelling of God's presence on earth. It's like nowhere else 
on earth, God has favored a people to be near to him in a way that nobody else gets to be. And the temple is the vehicle for God's nearness. And Solomon gets to build that temple. So we're seven years, it took him seven years to build this grand temple. We get to chapter 7, verse 51. Says, thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the vessels, and stored them in the treasures of the house of the Lord. And in verse 1, chapter 8, then Solomon assembled, right, this is corporate, he assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Skip down to verse 4. And they brought up the Ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. And in verse 10, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister before the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So like this unique moment in history is happening right here. All this time waiting for one who would build a temple... And God shows up in its day of dedication and his presence is manifest in a way that people can't even function because it's so thick and so powerful. Then in verse 22 of chapter 8. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, oh, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. In verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much Less this house that I have built. Yet, have regard to the plea, or the prayer rather, of your servant and to his plea. Oh Lord my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now he's going to, Go through a laundry list here that I summarized in your outline there. I just want you to notice something. 
since Exodus, there was this revelation that God had given through the tabernacle that he wanted to dwell amongst his people. And you get, the, you get numbers and you get Leviticus and you get all these priestly duties and sacrifices and bloodshed and all the instruments of the, tab- the tabernacle that would become the temple. And here it is being dedicated. And this moment in which you're going to stand and spread your arms out as the leader of Israel. And you're going to pray something about this location. Do you see the one thing that Solomon dedicates his prayer to? God, this unique place right here where your people gather before you. Separate it to a place that you will listen to us and you will hear us. Listen, there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be animal sacrifice, there's going to be all kinds of things that take place there. But what Solomon stops and highlights in this dedication is that this would be a house of prayer. Your people are going to need to access their God because they can't do or live the life that they're going to try to live And what's coming for them in the future is going to be too much for them. And there are things, God, that only they can get from you. Would you listen to us when we reach out to you? Would you make this place unique? And then he goes on and lists. He lists out life here, right? And you go back and read these. It's a long prayer. But listen to the familiar words. Like in verse 31 and 32. If a man sins against his neighbor... Right? If there's relational problems, if people don't get along and that goes bad in a variety of ways and somebody harms somebody else or there's relationships that get broken or deals that get undone or promises that get undone, if, if there is problems relationally, what's the answer? Well, then hear in heaven and act and judge. Verse 33, when your people Israel are defeated before their enemy, when they do life and they face setbacks, when they go to deal with a circumstance, deal with a situation, and they lose, and they get on the bad end of that deal. God, when that happens, not if it happens to your people, but when that happens to your people, God, then hear, listen and hear and forgive and bring them again into the land that you gave them. Verse 35, when heaven is shut up, And there's no rain. If there's famine in the land, if there's pestilence or blight or mildew or locusts or caterpillar, whatever plague, whatever sickness, whatever Hurricane Katrina, whatever economic downturn, whatever problem with provision, whatever disease comes into your body, whatever of this fallen world touches your life, God, in the moment that happens to your people, would you hear in heaven? And forgive and act. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house. God, here in heaven. You guys count how many times the appeal here is that God would hear? This is a place to talk to God. That's what this corporate temple is for. Verse 44. If your people go out to battle against their enemy. And they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen. Then... Then, God, hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. So when, when we go to face, as the people of God, our enemies, there are enemies in this world. And the ones we should be most concerned about are the ones highlighted in Ephesians chapter 6. Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places 
that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against them. God, when we go out to battle against our enemies, God, would you hear in heaven, verse 46, if they sin against you, if there are times of sin, if there is waywardness, if people lose their affection for you, if they chase idols, if their lives get bound up in things that bring their own destruction into their lives, God, if that happens, if they repent and they pray to you, Toward their land and the house that I built for your name, then God, here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Right, do, you, do you see this list right here? That's why we create a meeting. One of them that's, that's about broken relationship needs. Right? And that sounds like something that's in here. Seasons of suffering that have come into our life. Habits and sins that gain control of us that we need to get God's help in. That's why we have meetings like this. Because that's what he said. Solomon said, let's build a place that when this kind of stuff happens in our lives, we don't just deal with the circumstances. We go to God. Because God's got something in him that we need. And we can't do this. And life is out of control. And that's what birthed in him this understanding of what that temple was about. Verse 52. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. Leslie Allen in his commentary says, Solomon mounts a huge platform to be heard and seen better and praise on the people's behalf. It is a prayer about prayer. And it inaugurates the role of the temple as a house of prayer. This is why I think when Jesus walks into that temple and he can't find prayer going on, he just find merchandising going on. He starts knocking stuff over. Because the passion of God was to give man a place to meet with him. Remember the tabernacle and the temple are God's idea. And he said there was one in the heavenlies. And I want you to build one like it so that I may dwell among you. Prayer is a means of meeting with God. When we gather corporately to pray, we are gathering to meet with God. Helen says, 2 Chronicles 6, present a whole flotilla of petitions. And so does 1 Kings. Each anchored to and particular situation of need, which prompts an SOS prayer to God. Solomon prays about various people praying and asks that their prayers may be answered. The temple became the appointed house of prayer in the precise sense that it was God's earthly agency. One might say the mailbox into which all prayers were to be dropped. Is that good, Cliff, or what? Listen, our local mailman. As, a lo- as the location of God's special presence, it was the point through which to channel prayer. How many of you guys remember this quote from Indiana Jones? Dr. Jones, do you realize what the ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. Y'all remember that line? That always stuck with me. That's theologically rich. That dude may have been confused about a lot of things. What he was most confused about is it only works for the elect. (laughs) 
If you, if you don't belong to God, it, it doesn't work. You can't get anybody on the other end. But for God's people, that's the ark. The ark was the centerpiece of the temple. It was a place where God's presence would dwell. It was a setting where you could go and speak to God. That's what Solomon understood this place to be. This corporate dimension was a gathering place for God's people to speak to God. It was a house of prayer. Do you understand what a grief it is to think that's what was in the heart of God? That's what's revealed in scripture. And today you can't find a prayer meeting anywhere. People might be puzzled today if Jesus came in and kicked over chairs and stuff. So you might not understand what's he so jazzed about. And it might still be the same thing. The people of God have misplaced prayer before God. You look at this passage here in 1 Kings. We go a little bit further. Chapter 9. Now, if you're reading this, I encourage you. I hope you do read through big sections of scripture. You, know, you started in chapter 3 and God appears to Solomon and Gibeon. And then when you get to chapter 9, it's going to say this. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Now you're going to be tempted to read past that really quickly. And in doing so, you're going, to, you're going to miss the humanity portion that's in that little statement right there. Because it, God meets with him and imparts something to him in, in chapter 3. And then he sets out to build the temple. And it's going to take him seven years to build the temple. Then it's going to take him 13 years to build his own palace. And then it says he built some other stuff too. And so if I don't even add any of that other stuff in, we're 20 years. But he did some other stuff too. So some commentators think this is 24 years later that God appears to him again. It's 24 years since he heard God speak to him. Listen, that's helpful on a number of levels. Maybe not what you want your version of God to be like. But can you imagine there is a God out there who expects that the last thing he told you 24 years ago, he still expects you to be doing. And not pouting and crossing your hands because he hasn't shown up the way and when you want him to. And this is not, you know, alone. I mean, Abraham has the same issue. Big promises from God and 25 years later, still nothing. And then finally God speaks again. Right, so listen, whatever version of God you have, sometimes God takes his time to reveal things to us in particular ways. Now, here's what's also interesting, is what we're about to read here. What we just read when Solomon stood up on this raised platform and dedicated the service and cried out to God and made this laundry list of pleas, that was 13 years ago. Now you read it and then you went on and read this and it felt like, well, this all happened in the same setting. No, this is 13 years later. The Lord, verse three, said to him, I have heard your prayer 
and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. <laughs> I mean, listen, this is just the facts of life, isn't it? Thanks, God, but could you have let me know that 13 years ago? <laughs> I stood and cried out to you and believed and pleaded 13 years later. I have heard your prayer. How many of you guys prayed prayers 13 days ago that you still don't remember that you prayed them? You've already moved on 13 months ago. This is not unusual for God, for us to, to interact with him and for him to take his time and his way to do it his way. And that's what happens here. You know, there's a, there's a parallel presentation of this setting and these, this event in Second Chronicles. It's in that setting where, again, long laundry list plea and God appears to Solomon and reveals to him. And this is where we get this famous passage and this is what prayer meetings usually use as a uh, modem or whatever you call them, a motto. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. This is where God's responding to this plea of Solomon. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Why does God say it that way? Because Solomon had prayed like two dozen times. If this happens and we cry out to you, hear from heaven. And if this happens, and we turn to you in prayer, hear from heaven. And if this happens, hear from heaven. And if this happens, hear from heaven. God says, if you turn to me, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there Forever, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. This this is the temple that Solomon dedicated as a means of corporate prayer before God. I don't believe God ever intended his church to lose these dimensions, to just create something of a personal relationship with God that has no dimension like this. I don't think that's true. Now, I would say the opposite is true as well. It should not just be corporate activity that informs your Christian life. You shouldn't just be a Christian when you're here. You shouldn't just be praying when you're in one of these meetings. You should individually and personally have your own time of Bible reading, your own conversations with God going on, your own times of prayer and crying out to him and pleading with him and being with him. But we should be together doing this as well. And God has uniquely created a place where his ear is inclined and his eye is watching. He is waiting to hear what we would say next. Is that crazy? Doesn't God have better things to do with his time? I often am apologizing to God when I'm praying. That that he's got to listen to my dumb ideas. And the things that are bugging me and the things that are important to me. and the, It's like, but I, I know he invited me to come, so I'm there by invitation. But I feel like, oh, Lord, here we go again tonight. Thanks for putting up with me. I, I know I'm just like clueless in so many ways, right? The Bible says that. We don't know how to pray as we ought. Spirit helps us. And boy, we need some help. Charles Spurgeon says, the temple 
was intended to be the center of prayer for all the children of Israel. It is not therefore to be wondered at that when Solomon dedicated to the Lord the temple which he had built, his great petition was that God would hear every prayer that should be offered in that place or toward that place. He wished the temple to always be to Israel the token that God's memorial is that he hears prayer. Solomon, therefore, presented a wonderfully comprehensive series of supplications in which he appears to have included all the sorrowful conditions of the nation and all the troubles that were likely to fall upon the chosen people. One more thought from Mr. Spurgeon here before we pray. Spurgeon says, he quotes, I have heard your prayer and supplication. You have God saying, Solomon, I have heard you. I have heard your plea. Spurgeon says, the first thing the soul desires in prayer is audience with God. If the Lord does not hear us, we have gained nothing And what an honor it is, if you come to think of it, to have audience with God. The frail, feeble, undeserving creature is permitted to stand in the august presence of the God of the whole earth. And the Lord regards that poor creature as if there were nothing else for him to observe and bends his ear and his heart to listen to that creature's cry. It is necessary to a living prayer to feel that we are speaking to God and that God is hearing us, right? That's so obvious that it's one of the first things that we probably start overlooking, right? Do you, do you ponder your prayer time with God that way? That God actually is listening and he actually is hearing us. I love the imagery that these words in scripture create. That if God had physical form, he has postured himself to sit at the edge of his seat and to do this toward the corporate prayers of God's people. He's straining to hear. I, I love the thought that God, you painted that picture for me. So that I would know when I go before you in prayer, that's how you are inclined to me. You're not busy doing something else. You're not half listening, checking your phone. No, you are all in. Like I'm the only thing going on right now. And you're listening to me. And somehow you have the ability to do that with everybody who's praying. This is the picture God has painted for us. And Spurgeon says one more thing that's really helpful helps with some of our discouragement that we experience. He says, still there's a third thing that we want, right? We don't just want God to hear us, which God gave to Solomon, and that was an answer. We just don't want God to hear us. We want him to answer us. He asked the Lord to hallow the house, and the Lord did hallow the house. And as to you and me in prayer, while there are some things which we must always pray for with a great deal of diffidence everywhere evermore saying emphatically not as I will but as you will 
right? There are some things that when we go to pray about them, the uncertainty attached to those things invites us appropriately to not be sure we know what the outcome ought to be. There are some things in our lives like that. It's okay if you feel that way about some of them. And he goes on. I'm lost my place. Yet at certain other gifts, which we are encouraged to pray for with persistence, being resolved to have them. Those are spiritual blessings, covenant blessings, distinctly promised and evidently necessary. These we may ask for without any question, using a sacred persistence and refusing to let the angel go unless he blesses us. On matters promised by God in his word, we may come again and again, knocking at the Lord's door until he awakes and gives us the loaves that we seek for our hungry and fainting friend. Oh, for more holy boldness. Oh, for more assured confidence. Right? So get this, because this, this is a built-in discouragement. If I don't mention this, you'll get two blocks into prayer and you'll immediately become discouraged. There are some things in prayer that we're not sure about. And we want to consult the word of God, be led by the spirit and become as sure about them as we can. But we don't always know the future. We don't always know the outcome. Which one's best? Go left, go right here. Sometimes we just don't know. And it's appropriate to get in our prayer closet, to have a conversation with God about that and to conclude that matter with, Lord, I'm entrusting this to you. God, let your will be done in this category of my life. But then there's another set of issues in our lives that do not sit like that. And we should not be praying for those the same way. We should be getting in our prayer closet, as Spurgeon describes, with a sense of insistence. God, I know you want this. I know this brings glory to your name. I know you have revealed it. So therefore, I ask and I seek and I knock and I'm going to keep coming and doing it. And then God builds into his word an awareness that you might do that and the answer might be way over there. And you might do it for years. Remember, it's 13 years before Solomon gets God to tell him, I'm all in on that thing you asked me about. About this being a house of prayer, I'm all in. 13 years. I imagine he kept praying about it. But there's things in our lives that are that way as well. That you and I need to lay hold of them and ask and seek and knock. And ask and seek and and be ready that it may not come immediately. That it may delay. That there may be spiritual forces opposing those things. That we may need to pray through those things. That God may be awaiting timing. But yet the faith that we have along the way is a part of that timing and what God does. So, so don't be discouraged when you get in your prayer closet and you've asked for something and nothing happened. Okay, that's, that's part of the territory. Or something different happened than what you had thought would happen. Well, that's part of the territory as well. All right, Eric, you can come back up. All right, guys, here we are this summer. Summer Bible Jam has been about Building prayer closets. That, that's, that's what we're about. Let me just encourage us carefully in that this, this is not intended to be a season that we took to learn ideas about building prayer closets. And so once we have the ideas, we've arrived. 
No, 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 no. We've arrived when you actually have a prayer closet in your life that exists, that fulfills the purpose God has called for. So if you're here and you know, you're this far into the summer and you're saying, hey, I've, I've got more information about prayer than I had when I started the summer. Okay, do you have more of a prayer closet than you had when you started the summer? Because if you answer no, we're failing. We're not arriving where we're supposed to be arriving. Right? The reason to take a whole summer to dedicate time to do this, because it, it takes time to get traction in our lives. But we're mid-July now, right? So we've had some time. And maybe what you're discovering is the really hard part of doing this is, is if you want to park something new in your life, you're going to have to park something else in another spot or sell that car and get rid of it to clear out some space for this to happen. Right, so that needs to happen in two ways, for, for us personally, but for us corporately as well. You know, we, we are a church that doesn't believe uh, in the principle of corporate prayer. We actually do believe in corporate prayer. Uh, years ago, we put prayer on the front end of everything we do on a Sunday morning, for instance, uh, because I was deeply convicted that if God doesn't go before us in this meeting, we're wasting our time. There's no words that could be preached. There's no activity that could produce something eternal and and then the kingdom come. Apart from prayers that by faith pulled heaven down into our meetings. So listen, even going back to when we had two services, some of you guys will remember this. Our first service was at eight. Guess what time prayer was? was at 7. We had our corporate prayer meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Boy, is that a recipe for success, huh? (laughs) But I will say this. There were as many people there at 7 o'clock as we get now. There's a little circle of people, about 20 or so, that would gather in a circle in the front of the auditorium and pray for God to show up in our midst. And so there's a variety. I think we have a little slide here about this, some of the opportunities for corporate prayer. Um, we gather in different places and different times. There's not one corporate prayer that's available to you. There's several corporate prayer settings that are available to you. So, you know, as you're gathering or, or just glancing at this list, um, this is a dimension that is in the heart of God. This this is the kind of thing that Jesus could show up in our lives in in all of his glory and goodness and kick over some things in our lives because we've turned our lives into something else than what he had in mind. So personally, corporately as a church, how how do you and I make this work? Right? And, I, and make it work. I mean, it sounds so fleshly. It sounds so human activity oriented. Well, I'm sorry. It just kind of is, isn't it? How do you make Bible reading work? Well, you take your eyeballs and you stare at a page with words on it and you read. I mean, it's like you, you don't go into a trance. The spirit doesn't fall and time stood still and words appeared out of nowhere and floated across the screen. I mean, you pick a book up and time passes And you're going to miss doing something else and you're going to read and God's going to meet with you in a particular way. And prayer is that way as well. 
So at some point, if you and I want to engage the richness of what God is describing here, then you and I just need to abandon something and embrace something else. And I've got to do that personally, but we've got to do it corporately. So in all of these meetings, right? I mean, you just look around. I'm, I'm, you know, Jim Symbol is not going to be visiting our church anytime soon, but if he looked around here, he would wonder, is this what your corporate meetings of prayer look like? Do these people all show up in a corporate prayer space? And he'd be really disappointed to find out, no, no, not even just this one section will populate all those meetings. All right, so listen, we opened, those were uncomfortable quotes to start the meeting with. We're not exempt from them. And these are major, major issues. All right, so this is the second time, and and I will say this, if you show up, and I'm not in all these meetings, but I'm in some of them, and I'm always here on Sunday morning before we pray, because I know we're about to walk out here, and this is worthless if the Spirit of God doesn't show up. But this is the second time, and I'll, you know, to whoever this pastor was who had some burden that the church would come and pray for him. This is the second time in less than 12 months that I felt led for us to take significant time to devote to teaching on prayer. We did it last fall for about three or four weeks, I think. And we're doing it again this summer. And I'm I'm convinced that if we don't get this in place, Whatever we do in the future will be like a guy who swings and misses and swings and misses and swings and misses and swings and misses. We'll swing. We'll do a lot of stuff. But it will not be the same as if God were in our midst accompanying us the way he will when we pray together and believe. So this is not because I've run out of topics to talk about. that we've Well, we talked about the same topic significantly twice. It's because I don't think we can go on the way God wants us to if we neglect this hill to die on. So listen, if, if that's the kind of church you feel called to be a part of, then you're in the right place. If that's not the kind of church you feel called to be a part of, then these messages and probably what you're going to hear in the future will be frustrating to you. You will feel condemned by it. You'll feel weighted down by it. Because it's going to continue to summon you to something you just don't feel like doing. And I'm sorry that it feels that way. But these are hills to die on. We have got to build these things into our lives. Individually and corporately. So as you look at that list, can you ponder for a moment? What meeting will you be at? When these meetings happen. And what can you adjust in your life? Oh, that Sunday morning meeting, that's kind of early. Could you go to bed earlier on Saturday night? Well, you know, well, there is, you know, the, there's a Tuesday morning meeting, and that's even worse. <laughs> I get it. There's nothing convenient about prayer. Nothing convenient about prayer. The, the women play at, pray at 1030. I don't know. Some of you men could dress up funny and go to that, I guess. I mean, just do something. I'd, I'd applaud that if you're just that desperate. Uh, I'm going to pray corporately. Take the wig off when you come out. But. And then we have moments, you know, we'll do our, our 
meals together. And usually there are moments throughout the year that we're about to kick something off and we just want to come together and pray for those things. And we eat a meal together when we gather in here for prayer. We do that two or three times throughout the year. So there are opportunities here, but just, can I just encourage us? I want to invite God among us right now by the Spirit to put this in our hearts. That what, what we're going to do as we get past this summer is, is we're going to have prayer closets in our lives. This is too essential. We're going to have them personally and we're going to have them corporately. Amen. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you that when we are gathered together, you dwell among us. Well, we know it's true that when we were driving here by ourselves, perhaps, you were with us. You never leave us and you never forsake us. But when we gather, you come among us in a little different way. You manifest yourself among us differently. So there's something about corporate gatherings that's different than personal gatherings. Fathers, we have looked into your word and we've looked at lives. Lives like ours. Lives who ran toward this prayer closet space and dimension in ways that I hope is inspiring to us. Or maybe we're on the wrong end of that inspiration. Maybe maybe we're not a person who's ever been in a corporate gathering. Maybe we don't take time hardly ever to pray. Lord, would you inspire us from that place to move forward to a new day or to stare at a man like King Solomon Would I identify with this man? Lord, I know there are things in you I need. I've got to get near to you. I've got to know you're for me. I've got to know your covenant love toward me. I've got to know your tender mercies and your affection and care. Your compassion, Lord. I've got to taste and see these things. God, I'm convinced that what you've called me to do with my life I'm inadequate for. I join with the apostle. Who is adequate for these things? Who can do this stuff? And Lord, then I look out at life and it's just filled with challenges and brokenness and needs and and surprises and tragedies. Oh, Lord, this this needs a place. We need a, a shelter, a shadow of your wing to come near to you. We need it individually. We need it as a church. So God, I thank you. I'm inspired by a man like Solomon whose passion was to build a house of prayer and then to stake the good of the future on God. Will you hear us? When we need you, God, will you be there? God, when life comes unraveled in so many different ways, will you listen, Lord? 
Will you hear us? Will you respond? Will you come among us in those hours, in those moments? To wait to hear you say to us, yes, I will. My heart is inclined. My ear is listening to every prayer you will pray. I'm there. That's inspiring, Lord. Lord, we want to be that kind of a church. Don't want to hear some messages and then move on. God, we don't want to be a church who needs some form of human entertainment or activity to draw us. We only come to teaching meetings. We only come to concerts. Lord, we want to be with you. our hearts to long for that to rewrite the future of our church's history to be a place where when we find an opportunity to pray Lord that place is packed because you're there ear inclined heart opened listening longing to do what we're asking